Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, it is winter. <laughs> and I do not say that with excitement. Um, I am not a, uh, a, like a, like a winter cold guy, like a, especially kind of the, the dreary, cold, rainy January winters that we often get here in Virginia. And, and it, seems like a, it, it seems like it shouldn't be happening, right? Like this is Virginia Beach, like the, the seal of the city has sunshine on it, right? Like what is happening right now? Um, I feel like there's kind of like a disconnection often for people uh, who live in the city between um, essentially December until roughly like March-ish. It's kind of like we're just pretending like it's not happening because, you know, we live in a beach city and we're just like, this is, this is beachy. Like it's like it doesn't really even uh, begin to be Virginia Beach until the sun starts heating things up again. However, um, I have learned to embrace the seasons that God has me in. Uh, in, in every season, and that he actually has something really good in all seasons, even though I'm not a huge fan of winter. Um, like some of you are kind of bummed that we didn't get the big snowstorm. Uh, I am not. Um, I went to Appalachian State for my undergraduate and uh, got plenty of snow for the rest of my life. Don't need any more snow, right? Um, so uh, I, I actually am glad that that did not hit us. Um, however, even in these times, even in these moments, as I was driving here this morning, I was looking at the trees and I'm looking at how everything just kind of goes dormant in the wintertime, right? Like you, you see the trees, all the leaves are gone, you look around, you can see, you look out the windows and everything, you can see that life just kind of goes into a stage of, of just dormancy. Now it's not necessarily dead, but there is something happening that is a part of renewal, and actually beneath the surface, below the surface, uh, if you know much about what trees do, is that their roots are reaching and stretching and looking and, and yearning for water. So they go deeper and deeper, and what happens is it creates a foundation for that tree, even in the wintertime. And it's like, I need nourishment! And it's stretching and trying to get it. And then when the spring comes and the sun comes back, it's ready. Hands, roots, reached out, stretched out, right? And then when the nourishment comes, life just bursts forth in its proper season. And so by embracing these seasons, it's healthy for us. In every season, God has something for you. And I believe that this season in our church is a season specifically and especially of prayer. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series on prayer called Pray, <laughs> right? Not a very fancy series title, but uh, it, it's fitting, especially since the power of prayer isn't in the eloquence of prayer, but in the heart behind prayer. Amen? And so the series is called Pray. And so the best part of this series is that we aren't just talking about prayer. We're joining together in prayer. And as we join together, we're reaching and stretching and saying, God, we need you. We want to align our hearts with you and yours. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us eyes to see as you see. And our hearts, may they cry out for the things that you desire. And so we kicked off a couple of weeks ago uh, with a, a passage in Matthew 9, verse 38, and, we're, and it's about praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
And so I invited you to join in fasting and praying through lunch that Wednesday, the first Wednesday in January. And then we spent um, that time uh, where we would have been eating by seeking the Lord of the harvest, right? Seeking him in a, in a physical and spiritual demonstration of our desire to see laborers sent out into his harvest fields. And that we desire his harvest and his kingdom even more than the most basic form of sustenance. And so we began praying for God to give us eyes to see the world around us, to give us his passion for his purpose. And then last week we kicked it off, uh, or or we kicked it up a notch um, by inviting you to fast and pray through both breakfast and lunch, right? So we we looked at a parable Jesus told in Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, about persisting and persevering in prayer and not losing heart, um, which we then put into practice that Wednesday because... You know, if your metabolism is like mine, then things started to get a little real for you, right? Like, it's not just breakfast or not just lunch. Like, you can skip a meal. That's not a big deal, right? Because, you know, it's, you just eat a little bit later. But when you miss both meals, you know, it's all fun and games till things start growling, right? And, uh, you know, it, it, it got a little real. Um, and it doesn't necessarily feel great. But we persevered. Persevere in prayer, we lean into our true source of sustenance that comes from every word of the Father, because man does not exist on bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. So we, we were like, okay, is that true? We're going to do it. So it was, it was a bit difficult, right? Like when dinner came, I was all kinds of ready. Like I... I honestly wasn't feeling super spiritual. Like when I, maybe, maybe you kind of like when you're fasting and praying, maybe you kind of float around and everything is wonderful and you're just kind of like, I am a spiritual being and everything is wonderful and I don't really care and I don't need food. I have all of the goodness of God in my life. Maybe that's you. That's not me. Right? I tend to get things rattled. Like when I'm hungry, I'm hangry. Right? Like, that's kind of that thing that comes up in me where I'm like, I just need to eat. Like, I kind of lean into things. I'm like getting that brain fog and all that stuff that comes with it. Um, you know, like, I, I'm not feeling super spiritual, but, uh, you know, like that lethargy is kicking in, and I have to press into Jesus. I have to, when that carnality starts coming up in me, I'm saying, you need to die. And I feel like I am dying because I need food, but... I'm recognizing, and it even, it builds kind of a confidence in the Lord because I'm going, all right, I'm going to enter this meeting extremely hungry and not able to think right now, which means I'm going to have to trust the Lord, not myself, right? So there's a lot going on there, and that's just two meals. So then Thursday happened, and I, and I honestly, I could sense this sort of shift in my spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I've truly sensed a major shift. Now, I fasted and prayed for much longer than a couple of meals before. And, and, and you know, I didn't really sense much and just kind of was like, God, this is an offering to you. And, and sometimes it's been, I, I've sensed in the spirit some really powerful things and sometimes I haven't. But I'll tell you that this past Thursday, I very much sensed, I very much sensed a shift In fact, I'm more convinced than ever now that God is calling our church to a specific season of prayer. Like I'm more and more confident that as we unify in simple obedience 
to just pray and fast that God is doing something eternally significant in our midst through Risen Church. Like since Thursday morning, God's been awakening things in my heart and placing things right in front of me that are directly connected to prayers that I've been praying for for more than a decade now. Like dreams and promises and, and things that God's placed on my heart for more than a decade that I, I have been sort of reawakened as actual real options. Like prayers that I've honestly struggled to persevere in faith for have reemerged as very real possibilities. Prayers for the future of our church, prayers even for the salvation of specific people that I honestly kind of wavered in faith over the years for, and suddenly, all in one day, just went, and it was like, oh, it's like stuff's happening. And I believe that these things are being rekindled not only in me, but they're, they're being compounded by your prayers as God calls us as a church to continue to lean deeper in and higher up in prayer this coming week. I feel like it's God just saying, hey, you're on the right track. Keep going. So I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your prayers this past week and over these past couple of weeks. And I want you to know that your obedience in prayer matters. And your perseverance in prayer matters. And so this week I want to keep on keeping on. Deeper in, higher up. So this is, and if this is your first Sunday with us, or, or maybe you haven't joined us yet, then I want to invite you to join in. Like if you are online and you uh, are deployed and, and maybe you're just kind of tuning in or maybe you're on the other side of, you know, the nation or planet, I don't know. Um, I want to invite you to fast and pray with us this week because I believe God's doing something powerful both in us and through us. And as I've prayed about what God has for us in prayer this week, a sense that God's not just calling us to ask in prayer, but he's calling us to listen also in prayer. So he's calling us to seek him, not just to speak to him or at him, but to lean into him, and specifically to pray in the spirit. Now, you might be like, what does that mean? Like, what does praying in the spirit mean? Is it like, is it different from regular prayers? Like, when people talk about praying in the Spirit, it can sometimes seem like they kind of, like, have tapped into, like, another dimension, right? Sometimes it gets, like, uber supernatural. And, like, you know, I, I think often when I think of people praying in the Spirit or have in the past, I think of people, you know, they're, like, glowing or they, like, have transfigured and they're, like, bursting forth, like, rays of light beams are shooting from their eyeballs. And, like, you know, they're just sort of, like, in Super Saiyan mode where they're being elevated up and floating and, you know, just kind of, it, it, it's this... Uh, crazy experience of, of, of fantastical, mystical, almost like sci-fi quality, right? Um, and I think the term praying in the spirit does definitely mean supernatural. Like if this thing ain't supernatural, what are we doing, right? Um, and there is a mystical element to it for sure, 
But I think sort of like when it leans into that sci-fi entertainment kind of thing, that it kind of like it can tend to draw on these kind of fantastical personalities, but then it tends to repel those who have a more pragmatic, practical approach to things. And so this morning, I want to show you that while, yes, praying in the Spirit is extremely supernatural, it's also extremely practical. In fact, I'm not sure there is a more practical thing that we can do as Christians than pray in the Spirit. It's actually very biblical and a relatively common phrase that's used throughout the New Testament. Praying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living life in the Spirit. These phrases are all over the New Testament. But this morning, I want to hone in on two particular passages. The first one is in Ephesians 6, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul encourages the Ephesian church to continue, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So that's the first passage, and then we're going to look at John 15, 7. But... um, Ephesians 6, 18, I want to do a little nugget here. When he says saints, like when he says making supplication for all the saints, just by the way, he's not talking about a select few superhero Christians that have died in the past, okay? When he says saints, he's referring to all Christians. Everyone who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and filled with his spirit is what the Bible is talking about when it refers to a saint, Okay? So he's talking about praying for the church who is alive on the earth. He's not telling them to pray to an elite group of Christians who have already died. Like that's actually a a pagan tradition that has no business in real Christianity. All right? So if you are, uh, if you have grown up in the Catholic tradition um, or or have kind of grown up with that, I'm more than happy to talk with you more about this later. Um, But for now, I digress. (laughs) Um. But I just want you to know when we come across this, what it's talking about when it speaks to all the saints. He's talking about you. He's not talking about some superhero thing that's distant. A lot of times we like to externalize those things and we miss out on the identity that God is calling you as normal, everyday, spirit-filled, grace-bought believers are called to walk in, which is you are saints. Okay, and so he's calling you to pray for one another in the spirit. Okay, so again, I digress. So um, our other passage this morning is John 15, verse 7, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What? (laughs) So. I want to talk about what praying in the Spirit is, why it's important, and then how, uh, we even, how we even do it. And here's what I want you to get this morning. If you get nothing else, this is what I want you to get, all right? Prayer in the Spirit is more than a one-way presentation to God. It's a two-way conversation with God, okay? Prayer in the Spirit is more than a one-way presentation to God. It's a two-way conversation with God. And you might even say, in God. Like, in the Spirit, in Christ, 
Like, I think that it's important to feel the tension there of being so close to God that you're immersed in him. Like, it's not just talking to him or even, like, across the table from him, but it's curling up in his lap. That's what's being communicated and articulated in this kind of phrasing. So I think that some of, one of, the, la- that some of the language of being in Christ or in the Spirit is trying to drive that. And so what is praying in the Spirit? The passage we just read in Ephesians 6.18 is set within the context of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in ancient Ephesus. So these were Christians, much like you and I. People who have placed their hope and faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King. And so they've been transformed by the reality of the risen Savior and his indwelling Spirit. So they have heard about the news that God became a man. How how Jesus had lived the life they couldn't live and died the death that they deserved to die on a cross because of our sin. And then as a perfect unblemished sacrifice that carried the weight of the world's sin on our behalf. And they heard this news about how he had conquered our sin and the penalty of death that it deserved and and conquered the grave itself through the resurrection. So they heard all of this news. They heard about a real physical resurrection, not just like a spiritual metaphor, right? But a once and for all defeat of sin and death that destroyed the barrier between physical humanity and provided a real access to God Almighty. They heard this news, and it's good news, right? They heard about how that, that through faith in Christ's death and resurrection that we can live in this real access with God the Father as redeemed sons and daughters, even now. Not just one day when we die, but now. Because our sin was paid for and the chasm of distance between our souls and the very spirit of God himself was undone through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And so this wasn't just news for them. And I hope it's not just news for you. It is news. And it's good news. Right? This is what the gospel is. It wasn't just theory, though, or or like an intellectual ascent. They tasted of his spirit. Because when they placed their faith in him, life began. And so they'd experienced and seen real transformation in their own lives and in the lives around them. This is why they were gathering together. This is what they were after. This was the heartbeat of the early church. And I pray and I know it's the heartbeat of this church. Right? Like they were new people. They were people immersed in the grace of God and the eternal life that started the moment they received this grace through faith in Christ. It wasn't just an idea or a theory. It was an experienced regeneration of their hearts and an intimate renewal of their lives with the living God. This is what we're talking about. If Christianity doesn't mean that, what are we doing? Right? And so they've been overshadowed by the love and grace of God in Christ. And they were recreated by the spirit of the Most High King. And he filled them to overflowing with his very presence from the inside out as new creations in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it, it isn't just the experience of the Christians in ancient Ephesus, right? This is the experience of every true Christian throughout history who's been reborn unto eternal life in Christ. This is what it's all about. The old is gone. The new has come. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly perfect. Right, But it does mean that you're perfectly loved and completely forgiven because his grace is sufficient. And so if this has not been your experience, it can be this morning. 
Amen? So again, Christianity isn't just an intellectual ascent or a philosophy of discipline. It's an intimate relationship with the living and interactive king of the universe as his beloved children. If you don't understand that, you cannot understand what praying in the Spirit means. That's the difference between someone who prays in the Spirit and somebody who just prays. Someone who prays in the Spirit prays like a child to their daddy. Someone who prays just throws some incantations out to the universe. Maybe they're heard, maybe they're not. That's not what you've been called to. Okay? So the Apostle Paul is encouraging. I want to set this context up of Ephesus and risen church, right? And, and, I, and I want you to see that the way that the Apostle Paul is encouraging those who've experienced this new life in Christ to intentionally lean into their Savior King, to operate in the overflow of his presence and power for the great purpose that he's called them to walk out as his redeemed and reborn children who still live in a dark and fallen world, but are operating out of the great commission that he has invited them to partake with him in upon the earth. This is the mission of the local church. And so he writes this letter to them. And again, it's just as applicable to us now as it was to them then. So look with me at Ephesians 6, verse 10. I'm going to give you a little context and read through verse 10 to uh, 18 so that we can understand the context of praying in the spirit that, he, that I mentioned earlier. So this is the context. Verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so, I'd love to spend a couple of hours breaking down verse 10 through 17 here for you, but we don't have time for that. I wanted, though, to read this to you so, I, so you get the context that verse 18 is set within. And to see that this is actually a call to spiritual arms. Okay? It's a spiritual battle cry. And praying in the Spirit is our most effective form of spiritual warfare. So notice here that our greatest weapon is called the sword of the Spirit. This is the weapon. In all of that list, the weapon, the actual weapon, is the sword of the Spirit, which he says in verse 17, is the Word of God. Right? So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so prayer in the Spirit isn't the weapon. The Word of God is the weapon. Got it? 
Prayer in the Spirit, though, is the act of wielding the sword of the Spirit. So it's putting God's word to use. That's really important to remember. So often we, we think of the word of God, like it, it, it's almost like it's sometimes if, if you've got the word of God and it's not being used and it not being applied in your own life, if you're not engaging with it and being engaged by it, it's like having a sword that's just sheathed by your side collecting dust, right? You're called to take that thing out and to engage in battle. You would not go into battle without unsheathing your sword, Right? This is the life you're living in. You're in a battle, whether you like it or not. You're you're on the front lines. Don't go into this battle with an unsheathed sword. Or don't go into this battle not knowing how to use that sword. Okay? This is important to remember. So prayer, hear me, prayer in the Spirit is how the Word of God and the Spirit of God are unleashed on a fallen world in our everyday lives. Praying in the Spirit is how we throw down on the enemy. It's how we wield the the, the sword of the Spirit. It's how we put the sword of the Spirit to the enemy's neck. So just like a warrior needs to know how to use his sword in battle, a true Christian needs to learn how to pray in the Spirit. But again, what does that even mean? And what does it look like to pray in the Spirit? And how is it different from any other type of praying? Right? John 15, 7. It says that Jesus makes, a, it, 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 in this, John 15, 7, Jesus makes this profound promise. It's radical. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And the key to understanding what prayer in the Spirit is all about is found right here in this verse. Ultimately, Jesus is making a pretty radical claim about the effectiveness of a certain kind of prayer. Like, I mean, it doesn't get much more effective than ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, right? But how is that even possible? How is that even true? Like, maybe you read that, maybe you're just kind of like, ah, that can't really mean what it sounds like it means. Like, maybe it's just because I don't really know the Hebrew or the Greek or something like that, and I'll leave it to, like, you know, the theologians to figure that out, right? Nope, it means what it says. In fact, this is not the only place that he talks like this. Over and over, he uses this kind of language. So how can this be true? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you? And and what does this have to do with praying in the Spirit? Well, let's take a little closer look at this verse. And we have a promise here that's predicated on two conditions. Really important. So, in other words, if you want to be able to ask whatever you wish and it be done for you, pay attention. Okay? Because there's two conditions. The first is that you abide in Jesus. Say abide. And the second is that his words abide in you. Say abide. Then comes the promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So let's take a deeper look at these three elements in this promise 
And then as we do, it's going to shed some light on what it means to pray in the Spirit. And it, and it even gives some insight on in how to do it. And so let's look at the first condition here. If you abide in me. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? In the first few uh, verses before this, Jesus compares our relationship with him to a vine and its branches. John 15, 4 says this. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the clear picture here of deep reliance between the branch and the vine. There's a deep dependence that goes way beyond just getting what you want here. Right? It speaks to a connection that strikes at the heart of our very design. Like We were created to abide in him. Just as the branch is designed to abide in the vine, anything outside of that design pattern only results in withering and death. Right? But when we do abide, the result is fruitfulness and life. This is the image that Jesus chose to illustrate our need for true, connected, dependent, reliant prayer. Like, he's not just showing us how to be productive. He's showing us how to live as we were created to live. This isn't just like a self-help step in order to make you better at your job, right? This is about producing fruit. It's not just about producing fruit. It's about unity with him. That's the point. Like fruit is the symptom or the evidence of the main thing, which is the redeemed relationship between God and his people. The fruit isn't, I mean, yes, it's good. It's the point in some sense, like it is, but it is the evidence or symptom of true dependent relationship and reliance between God and his people. Like notice even that he doesn't say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll be able to do whatever you want. That's not what he says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask. That's significant. That's not what you would expect there. Right? He says, he says if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask, pray, lean in further, cry out for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Like, it sounds a lot like what Jesus said when he saw the sh- people, the crowds, and they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he turns to his disciples and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, or he says, sorry, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to be sent out into the harvest. He doesn't say, go do it. He says, pray. First and foremost, he says, pray. Right? And so here's the same thing. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask. 
Now, of course, there is a doing that takes place, but that doing is the overflow and the response or, or the, yeah, the overflow of the asking because it's done for you. So there's never a point, hear me, there's never a point of disconnection. Like even the promise itself involves deep relational dependence upon him as the source and substance of it all. Like even in the asking, like it's not like you get what you want and then you're like, okay, thanks, bye, right? Even in the asking, there's a deep relational dependence on Jesus. There's never a lack of abiding. You abide in him and his words abide in you and then you ask and you continue to abide because then it's done for you. So he's not the only one, he, or he, he's not only the one who provides the promise, he is the promise. He's not the only one who grants, uh, or he's not only the one who grants the prayer request, he's even the one who helps us know what to even pray for. Like even our capacity to pray comes from the strength that he provides. Like it's not something that we must kind of muster up through sheer human grit and determination. You ever, you ever tried to do that? Like you come before God and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to pray and you're like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. I just kind of, all these people, they have all these eloquent prayers and it just seems to flow out of them and I just don't do that and I can't do it and so I just quit. That's just not for me, right? True effective prayer, though, is what flows forth from the soul who is beholding and resting and abiding and enjoying the presence of God. True effective prayer isn't just verbally processing out loud. Okay? A lot of times people think somebody's a great prayer because they're good at processing their words out loud. And then they just start with dear God and then say amen at the end. Right? True prayer, though, true prayer, effective prayer, is what flows forth from the soul who is beholding and resting and abiding and enjoying the presence of God. Charles Spurgeon was a British pastor in the 1800s, and while I'm thankful for so much of his work and influence, the thing that I've been most impacted by and most thankful for is what he's taught me about prayer. Like of all the rich theology and powerful teaching, it was his passion for the primacy of prayer in all things that I, I truly believe was at the root of his effectiveness in ministry. And he's actually been nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. You guys ever heard that before? If you haven't, now you have. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, right? But I actually think of him more as the Prince of Prayers. Like, and, and whenever I think of Charles Spurgeon, I'm so thankful for his impact on me again in prayer. Listen to what he says um, about prayer and abiding in Jesus. He said this, prayer comes spontaneously from those who abide in Jesus. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. As the leaf and fruit come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort and simply because of its living union with the stem, so prayer buds and blossoms and fruits out of souls abiding in Jesus. As stars shine, so do abiders pray. They do not say to themselves, it is time for us to get to our task and pray. No, they pray as wise men eat, namely when the desire for it is upon them. They do not cry out as under bondage. At this time I ought to be in prayer, but I don't feel like it. What a weariness it is. 
They have a glad errand at the mercy seat and rejoice to go there. Hearts abiding in Christ send forth supplications as fire send out flames and sparks. Souls abiding in Jesus open the day with prayer. Prayer surrounds them as an atmosphere all day long. At night they fall asleep praying. They're able joyfully to say, when I awake, I am still with thee, which is from Psalm 139. This gets right to the heart of what Paul means in Ephesians 6.18 when he calls us to pray at all times in the Spirit. It's the kind of prayer where we're leaning into the presence of God in deep reliance and dependence. It's not just a one-way presentation to him. It's a two-way conversation with him, and I would even say in him, right? It's the kind of prayer that listens and aligns where our very words are prompted by the Spirit of God himself, like it's the kind of prayer when we come before the Lord and we don't know what to say. And he gives the prayers to us himself. Like even if those prayers come in the form of groans that are too deep for words. Right? Where you come before him and you just love him and you don't know what to say and something's gone on and you're just like, Wah! God's like, amen. Right? Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Guys, God is not interested in your eloquence. He desires your heart. He desires that deep dependence. He desires to be the place our souls find rest the safe place of refuge where, where, where we bring our petitions and our cry and our heart's desire. And we do it both in joy and in sorrow. Like we do it both in the mountaintop and in the valley and everywhere in between because he calls us to abide in him. Not just to run to him when things are bad or to be happy in him when things are good. He calls us to abide in him. And, and, and not just to cry out to him, but to listen. To know how to listen in prayer is crucial in learning how to pray in the Spirit. To listen. It's almost like he's alive and wants to interact with you or something. God did not just wind the clock of this world and set it in motion and be like, all right, see you when you die. That is heresy. It's actually called deism. That's another sermon. He's called us to be Still before him, though, to know that he's God and even to know him as God, right? To lean into that still, small whisper in the silence and the solitude and to realize that he desires to speak with you. He desires to meet with you there. He desires to fill your heart and mind and imagination with truth and grace and his glory. And he wants to give you rest and he wants to give you vision and he wants to give you that deep, all-satisfying joy in himself. And to realize that anything else is a counterfeit if it's outside of him. He desires to speak with you in an intimate and personal way. He desires to prompt your spirit to even know how to pray and what to pray for and even who to pray for and when. Because this thing gets real intimate. 
This is what I'm talking about when we talk about praying in the Spirit. We're talking about the living God who will prompt your spirit by the Spirit to pray in the Spirit for things you'd otherwise have no understanding or idea or even desire to pray for. This is the living God, guys. Like suddenly a friend may cross your mind, maybe somebody from like our church, maybe somebody you haven't seen since the third grade, they just pop into your mind, right? It's not necessarily a coincidence, especially if you're a spirit-filled believer, right? Right? Like they suddenly come to mind as you're driving down the road or you're having lunch or you're watching television. It may well be that God is calling you to stop and pray for them right there, like to ask the Lord what he wants you to pray for them and then do it. Like maybe shoot them a text or, or, or call them, give them a little encouragement, see how they're doing. Like ask the Lord how he'd like you to encourage them. Ask the Lord what he thinks about them, what he wants to say to them. Look, at the end of the day, it could just be like, hey, how you doing? Like God loves you. All right. And then they, you hang up and the next thing you know, they're like, I really needed to hear that. Guys, this isn't in my, my notes. I've had situations like that where I've done that, and I come to find out they had a gun literally in their mouth. That's happened. I've had people call me before and say things to me in situations where I was dealing with something. I had one situation where I was struggling. To It was actually when we were coming here to Virginia Beach, and I, uh, I had a guy call me out of the blue and say, because I had originally had one idea of what God wanted to call us to do, and, and uh, he had shifted gears on me, and so I thought, right? And I'm like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. And I was kind of like torn going, is this the right thing? Does he want to do this? And I had a guy call me and say, I have just got an overwhelming urge to encourage you that your steps are ordered by the Lord. You're a righteous man. You'll not veer to the left or to the right, but keep walking forward. Then I had in the same day another guy call me and say, I feel like God is, uh, what was the word? Changing gears on you, something like that. Same thing, all that to say. People who were sensitive to the Spirit of God called and met me right where I was because they were praying in the Spirit. Maybe you follow up with them and you encourage them, and if they're not a Christian, then pray for their salvation. Like, that's an easy one, right? Like, if they're not a believer, pray for their salvation. Everything else is secondary to that. If they don't know Jesus as Savior and King, that's it. And then follow up with them. And then maybe begin to consistently and intentionally pray for their salvation. Right? And then when talking to someone about Jesus, right, enter into the conversation that the Spirit of God's already been having with them. Because God speaks even to unbelievers. They just don't know who he is or they don't believe that that voice is actually him. So enter into that dialogue that the Spirit's already been having. Praying in the Spirit allows us to meet them where they are, and God will literally customize the way we share the gospel with each person. Now, God, the gospel is always the gospel. That never changes. But God desires to use us and to speak through us to people and to see those people as he does. And the way we do that is before we go forward and, and try to prevail uh, with people on behalf of God, we prevail with God on behalf of people. Amen? 
And when you do that, you'll get his heart for those people. And it's going to impact the way you speak and make disciples and interact with one another. This is praying in the Spirit. And so it's why one of the most important aspects of making disciples is, again, praying in the Spirit. This isn't just for pastors, guys. This is for all Christians, right? This is the power of prayer in the Spirit. He helps us to know how to even pray, how to pray for our government, how to pray for specific leaders or family or friends or direction in our lives or or, uh, particular gifts or needs, praying for the lost. But it all flows directly out of being connected to the source, abiding in Jesus, just as the branch abides in the vine. And when we do, our souls find rest. Like pride and shame have no claim over the heart that is hidden, even buried with Jesus Christ. The only thing that has any type of authority over that person is resurrection, right? Because you're beholding him. When you behold the glory of God and you place all of the cares and burdens and anxieties and all of these things, you place him at the feet of the throne and Jesus promises He tells us that when we do that, when we cast our cares upon him, when we go to him in prayer, that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because that's where all the noise of this world fades into the background and his voice begins to whisper like a trumpet to our souls. Now, one of the questions that always comes up here is, how do you know if God is the one who's speaking to you, right? This may be the thing that's in the back of your minds right now. You're like, okay, <laughs> but all right, God, God wants to talk to me. That's cool. God talks to people. How do we know it's him and not like the pizza I had the night before? Or like, how do I know that I'm not like, you know, going to start a cult or something? Like, what? When we start talking about God speaking to us, things can get a little bit crazy, right? A lot out of hand. Which is why the second condition is so important. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Really significant. Like the way that you can discern whether or not that thought that filled your imagination was from God or not is by knowing his word. It's got to be rooted in his word. Like remember, praying in the spirit is the action of wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? Like remember, praying in the spirit is the action of wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. John 1 tells us that Jesus is himself the word of God. And so again, this is not distinct from his presence. It's all about intimacy, reliance, dependence, and relationship with him, abiding in him, and him abiding in you. This means not just hiding in him, but hiding his word in your heart and taking the promises of God and praying them back to God. I love how J.D. Greer puts this. He says, prayers that start in heaven are heard by heaven. Prayers that start in heaven are heard by heaven. And here's what that means. Do you know that there's over 3,000 promises in Scripture? 3,000. That's a lot. Like part of praying in the Spirit is taking God's Word and praying it back to Him. Ratifying what God has said and declared. You're saying, God, remember what you said? 
Like, remember what you said here, God? It's echoing the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who said, I am a servant of the Lord. Be it unto me as you have said. God, remember what you said. Remember this. Remember that. God, I'm calling. Look, I'm holding. Here, do that. Do what you said you were going to do. Do these things. That's praying in the Spirit, guys. Look, Mary said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Be unto me as you have said. Spurgeon put it like this. If the word of God abides in you, you can pray because you meet the great God with his own words and thus overcome omnipotence with omnipotence, which means like all powerfulness. You overcome omnipotence with omnipotence. This is the best praying in all the world. So be filled with God's word. Study what Jesus has said, what the Holy Ghost has left on record in this divinely inspired book. And in proportion, as you feed on, retain, and obey the word in your life, you will be a master in the art of prayer. You have acquired skill as a wrestler with the covenant angel in proportion as you can plead the promises of your faithful God. Be well instructed in the doctrines of grace and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that you may know how to prevail at the throne of grace. I had a pastor once encouraged me to memorize scripture by relating it to ammunition. <laughs> like the more scripture you hide in your heart, the more ammo you give the Holy Spirit to fire as you pray. Think about that. Like the more his word dwells in you, the more his word abides in you, the more equipped you'll be to call down his promises and to rattle truth off at the lies of the enemy like a divine machine gun. And it's effective. Like the more his word abides in us, the more the Holy Spirit will flood your mind with truth that's necessary for every circumstance. And it's, this is not like, it's not like we're about the word but not the spirit. It's the spirit that's bringing his word to mind. You can't separate this. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit wants to point us to the word of God. Who is Jesus Christ. And so the more his word abides in us, the more the Holy Spirit floods us with these things that are necessary even in every circumstance. This is part of what I mean by listening prayer. That God will often not only bring particular people to mind or particular issues but circumstance, or circumstances, but he'll also bring to mind verses that have been hidden in your heart. But so far, God hasn't reminded me of a scripture that I wasn't already familiar with. Right? This is why it's so important for his word to abide in you. This is why scripture memorization actually matters. It's not just the thing that youth groups do or Sunday schools do, right? You're stockpiling ammunition for the battle that you're going into, right? This is the sword of the spirit. Do you know how to wield it? Or is it just sheathed on your desk somewhere collecting dust, right? God doesn't just call us to read his word. He's called us to pray through his word and to hide in our hearts his word and let it abide and then pray it back to him in the spirit. So John 15, 7, if you abide in me, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
So now we're at the promise, right? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So when you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, he changes your desires and he aligns them with his desires. I want you to get this. Your prayers will have the very fingerprints of God himself on them when you abide in him and he abides in you. Now you're connected to the vine. You'll begin to cry out for that which breaks his heart. You'll begin to pray to your holy father in heaven for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You'll begin to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness rather than your own agendas and your own kingdoms. And then trust that all else will be added unto you. Because when you abide in him and his word abides in you, all those desires that beckon us away from the vine, all those lustful, greedy, self-aggrandizing, carnal desires, those things that love to masquerade as ultimate things, they ultimately get exposed as counterfeit things when we abide in him and his word abides in us, suddenly those things, those lesser things that try to masquerade as ultimate things, they fade into the backdrop of his glory and his purpose and his kingdom and his goodness. And your prayers will become purified unto his pure and perfect and holy will, which makes those petty carnal desires seem like pure rubbish compared to the surpassing glory of knowing the promises God has for you that are found in Christ Jesus alone. So when we pray, we pray according to his will, and we pray according to his desires. We pray for the divine root of our prayers to be answered because we trust that his answer is the best answer. That's why when we pray, we don't demand that God... uh, attune his ear to what we want. We're listening and saying, God, what do you want? Not my will, but your will be done. But then if, but recognize also that part of your own heart's desires are often caught up with your king and your daddy. And you can pray, God, give me that parking spot. That's an awesome prayer. But if you don't get the parking spot, that doesn't mean that he's actually said no. He may say it's like a yes in the fact that you didn't get that parking spot because he wants to talk with you as you walk from the very back. Right? But that doesn't mean don't ask. In fact, you can have the security to ask because you know that he can purify these things because this is part of the grace and the relationship that we have. You see, this is what it means to pray in the Spirit and to align with God as we cry out unto God So again, this shouldn't give you hesitance when you pray. It should motivate you to cry out all the more for all kinds of things. All kinds of things. And to persevere in that. Like pray, 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 and don't stop praying until God says, hey, stop praying about that. Seriously. To know that as we pray in the Spirit of God, the Son of God purifies them by his blood and he brings them before the Father who delights in them and he answers them with a resounding yes and amen. However, it may not be in the way or the timing our carnal minds prefer, but that just simply grounds again to persist and persevere in the Spirit as he purifies our prayers and draws us closer and closer to himself at the throne of grace, which is what we're actually after. That's our heart's desire. God doesn't want to give you something that's going to pull you away from him. Right? Now, some of you may be thinking, this is kind of maybe the elephant in the room for some of you. Maybe some of you not. Maybe you thought that praying in the Spirit was a reference to speaking in tongues. Anybody? No? 
Maybe not. Maybe I'll just drop this and move on. Um, Praying in the Spirit is often, yes, it is often a reference to speaking in tongues. Like praying in tongues would definitely qualify as a form of praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 attests to that. However, it is not the only way we pray in the Spirit. That's important. And while I'd love to go down that line of thought, we don't have time this morning, and that's actually not because I don't want to go there. If you have questions about that, please come talk to me afterwards. Um, but I do want to wrap this up and close by saying here that uh, this Wednesday, I want to invite you to pray and fast all day long. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And yes, that does mean going to bed hungry, which I'm not super excited about, right? Um, however... I want to encourage you to abide in him. I want to encourage you to let his words abide in you. To cry out on behalf of our church this week. And if your stomach feels empty, I pray that your souls feel full because you've been feasting on the word of God all day long. Like maybe for breakfast, right? Wake up on Wednesday, right? And for breakfast, Psalm 1. One through two, feast on this for breakfast. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the breakfast of champions right there. Get that in you. Let that nourish you. Let that be your sustenance. Wake up with that. And then, and then for lunch, right, maybe uh, stockpile Psalm 119, 103 through uh, 105. This is your lunch, right? How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Like, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Like, Get that in you. Hunger for that. Meditate on that. Memorize that. Get it in your soul. And then maybe for dinner, dig into Psalm 127. Right? Verse 1 and 2. I'd say the whole thing if you're really hungry, right? (laughs) But the first couple of verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. After fasting all day long, you may have been in that brain fog. You may deal with that lethargy. You may have been in a meeting where you're like, man, I completely screwed that up. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Let him give you sleep. Let him give you rest. Lean into him in that moment. That, I'm t- you get that in your soul, you're going to sleep like a baby. And maybe for dessert, right? Those of you that kind of, you know, you wait till your spouse is asleep and you kind of get up and you're like, ice cream. <laughs> right? <laughs> little dessert while you're on the pillow. Your head is on the pillow and you're, you're thinking John 15, 7. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let your heart resonate in that. May you hide the word of God in your heart as you would hide bread in your stomachs. May it nourish you by his spirit that we would cry out to him on behalf of our church and for his glory. Let's pray.